it's funny, I've told a couple of people this this morning that when I'm speaking on a certain subject, it seems like that's where I have the most, the biggest battle. <laughs> and today I'm speaking on full of life. And I, and I was just like drained this morning when I woke up. <laughs> uh, Phil, I did uh, our, our next, I'm going to give you a testimony how God works. Um, our next door neighbor, we lived there nine years, and he didn't know Jesus Christ as a Savior. Very private family. Uh, he helped us in some of our building here, uh, architecture-wise. And he found they found out just, just a few months ago he was very sick. We didn't even know. I just thought he was in Las Vegas or somewhere because he traveled all the time. Didn't know about his uh, sickness, and then just a few couple of weeks ago, we found out that he was had been diagnosed with that he was terminally ill. And his son came back from Austin to minister. I mean, to be with the family and help his mom. And I knew I'm supposed to go tell this guy about Jesus Christ and try, you know, and, and, and had Jody Foley came and helped us with some legal work one day. And he, felt, he seemed to be pretty, doing pretty fair that, at that day. So I just, we prayed, Mary Lee said, well, Harold, you got to get over there and see David. I said, I know, I know. I've, I've talked to his son. I've, I've tried, I've, invite, I've offered. I just can't go in there and, and beat down his door and tell him that, you know, if you don't give your life to Jesus, you're going to hell. I mean, I knew that's, that was the reality of it. And... thought I would have an opportunity. How many of you ever think you're going to have an opportunity to witness to somebody? Well, I didn't get the opportunity. He died. He, uh, way faster than they thought he would. But all along during that time, I'm praying, God, if it's not me, send somebody. Send somebody. The other neighbors joined. We were, we're, our neighborhood was praying. Our Sudi across the street and Thelma next door and Paula. We, had, we have a pretty close neighborhood. So we were praying. And I thought, surely, you know, that after he's died, that, that nobody, they didn't come to tell us. We found out from uh, somebody else. We just felt like we we're just outside the loop of the whole thing. Felt pretty yucky about it. Well, then Mary Lou calls me Friday. This funeral Saturday, yesterday. She said, they've called. They want you to do the funeral. I said, okay. I'm doing a quinceanera on Saturday night. <laughs> My first quinceanera. So I'm trying to learn how to do that and get called to do a funeral. Somebody I really don't know. So I go over to meet with the family. And in the process of talking to his wife, find out that one of the band members had come over and brought some scriptures. She brought this, this stack of uh, scriptures to me. So, well, you know, this guy and his wife came over and they talked to him. Because I asked her, I said, I said, did he ever give his life to Christ? Did you know if she said, no, I don't know. I don't think so. So, I don't know if you've ever prepared a funeral for somebody that's lost or that you're pretty sure that's lost. It's not a fun chore. I'm sure you've probably done that, Jack. So you're trying to think all the positive things to say without actually having to say something about their, their, the reality of it. 
So she tells me this guy's come over and brought these scriptures. So I said, well, maybe he'll want to do a eulogy. Maybe he got to talk to him. So she said, well, call him. So I called him up. This guy knew me from Glen Meadows Baptist Church. He, he played in the band with this guy. And he actually plays in their, their worship team over there. And I uh, get to talk to him. He said, I said, Leon, did you get to talk to David about his salvation? He hadn't seen him in years and years and years. He felt, when he found out about David, he felt, I've got to go talk to him. He was scared. He didn't want to go. He's like, God, if there's any other way, you know. But God said, no, you're the one. See, I wasn't the one. And this guy goes with his wife, and he starts talking to David about his condition, his spiritual condition. And he's got scriptures, and man, he's trying to give the plan of salvation. He says, man, I think I messed it up. I don't think I did it right. And he said, but he prayed the prayer to receive Christ, but I just didn't feel right about it. I just he said, so I'm leaving, and you know, you, you think you'd be jumping over the moon, thinking, I, this guy accepted Christ, but didn't have that good feeling about it. So he goes and calls another guy at his church. He said, he said would you go back with me? I need to make sure about this guy. He said, sure. So he tells David, he said, I've got a guy coming. Is it okay if he comes and talks to you about the Lord? David said, yes. So he comes, and he's much more eloquent, he said. Eloquence doesn't have anything to do with it. That was that guy's personal opinion. But he comes, and he shares the plan of salvation, and he makes sure that he knew what he was saying, what he was doing. And he said, David prayed to receive Jesus. (laughs) Woo! I'm telling you, when he told me that, I was like, you know, whoa. Wow, you know, yeah, yay, God. Y'all didn't front row only saw that. Only, only gonna do that once. Ready? Anyway, no, the Trinity, right now. They went back the day before he passed away. He passed away on um, Wednesday. They came back. No, they came back Sunday, and he was pretty much slipping into a, a coma. And he couldn't talk that day, but he came back with his wife. Leon did. And they sat on either side of him and held his hand and prayed with him. And she looked at him. She said, David, do you remember what you prayed the other day with Randy and with Leon? And he couldn't verbalize it, but you know what he did? He got her hand and he just kissed the back of her hand. Listen, deathbed confessions actually work. There's a parable in the Bible that talks about these men working from the beginning of the day and another worker comes in, he's hired at the middle of the day and another one comes at the end of the day and he works. And at the end of the day, the, 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 the guy gives them the same wages. And what Jesus was trying to show in that parable was Hey, listen, we don't, none of us, the one that worked early in the day or the one that came in the middle of the none of us deserve it. So why should we be surprised that God does things that way? But I thank God that I know where David is. It took a burden and lifted off of me. So listen, if you, when I ask you this morning, if God brings somebody to your mind to pray for, it doesn't necessarily have to be you now, but if it's you, you... You need to be faithful. You need to be obedient and go. But pray that God would hem them in with believers from every side, that he would bring them to the awareness of who Jesus is. Listen, never pray that a calamity happens so somebody will get to know Jesus, okay? That's not our job. 
Oh, whatever it takes, Lord, if they got to be in a car wreck, they'll No, don't pray that prayer. That's manipulation, and that's trying to tell God his job. Just pray that they will know truth. Pray that God will bring people into their path where they'll have an encounter with the living God. Did that bless you or what? Man, that blessed me. So I got to do his funeral, and I got to do it good. I got to do it right. And then what? And the funeral meal. And then the quinceanera. <laughs> oh, boy. God is good. God is faithful. God is... He's always on time. But when I, I was thinking about this sermon this, this week for this week and preparing kind of for next week and the next week because we have our anniversary. Speaking of quinceanera, there he is right there, Mr. Quinceanera himself, Johnny. Um. It's preparing the sermon called, and it was called Full of Life in, in next Sunday anniversary and the next Sunday resurrection day. So trying to kind of get God to get me a, a plan here. Uh, I, I've been looking through pictures, found old pictures. Billy Fay got a connection, found old pictures of what this building looked like in 1938. So if we can ever restore it to that, it would be cool because it's beautiful. Uh, we, you can't see that till next week, though. We're going to show you what this building used to look like. And how the, all the employees of this, of this uh, wood motor company were sitting right in here with that beam right there for a big meeting back in 1938. Um, I was thinking about and looking at old pictures and seeing how the kids have grown up and seeing uh, the, all of our children and, and, and my grandson who's president who kind of represents our church in a way because he was, Casey was pregnant at that time when we began the fellowship. And so I've, he'll be 10 in July, and that's pretty much coincides with our anniversary. But I was thinking of how fortunate and how blessed we are. How God has just over and over showed off. When we didn't know what we were doing, <laughs> when we didn't have a clue uh, how that God would protect us, that he would, a miracle here and a miracle there. When we would try to force our way into something and God would say, uh-uh, no. When he revealed the, the prophetic to us and we were like, what's a prophet? And what's the prophetic word? What does that mean, a word like that? All those things in the past 10 years, God has just shown off. And, and I want, and, and I know I, I bring, sometimes it's a difficult word. Um, it's been prophesied that I would preach a hard word, I guess. Is that how you put it? A clarion word, uh, a repentance. And yet, today I just wanted to share a word about life, being full of life. So I saw this video and I thought, this is a good video. Uh, You know, a lot of people don't want to go to church. And they have a lot of reasons why they don't want to go to church. I think we've kind of dispelled all of those reasons. I don't think we've, we're, we've arrived and we're the greatest church ever. I just think we're doing a lot of things right. So I want you to watch this short video and, and then we're going to talk about church. Bless you. Here's a few reasons why people don't go to church. I can't come to church until I get my life together. Church is how I got my life together. Church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. And there's always room for one more. 
All they care about is your money. They care about me, not about my money. Is there some kind of dress code? Yes, the code is wear some clothes. Church, it just makes me nervous. I was nervous at first, and then I felt right at home. I'm not sure I believe everything that you believe. But you can still belong. Church is for wimpy, girly men. You want to say that again? If you knew me and what I've done, you wouldn't want me. If you knew me and what I've done, you wouldn't be worried. You can come to my church even if you were brought up Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Jewish, Mormon, Lutheran, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Church of Christ, Southern Baptist, a little bit of everything and a whole lot of nothing. See, it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. So please, come to my church. Where nobody's perfect. Where beginners are welcome. Where socks are optional. But grace is required. Where forgiveness is offered. Where hope is alive. And where it's okay to not be okay. Really. Isn't that good? And bless you. Oh, boy. We should always try to keep in mind when people come inside the walls of this church that they're not perfect people. And they have those questions. They have those fears. They have those doubts. I love the fact that people come here and they say, this is a place of life. You don't have to be perfect to come here. Listen, matter of fact, if you are perfect, you probably don't want to be here. <laughs> You know, what we do, we boast of, uh, the perfection we boast of is Jesus Christ. He is perfect, and he is in us. So that's the only boast that we can boast of is perfection, is that we're covered by the blood of Christ. So I just wonder, I'm looking around all the people here today, I just wonder, why did you come to church? Why did you come here? What, what motivates you to get up on a Sunday morning and get dressed when the rest of the world is asleep or getting through with a party? <laughs> We don't always get it right, do we? The band isn't always polished. The sermons aren't always the right length. We don't, the lighting isn't always exactly right. And sometimes the sound isn't exactly right. And we understand all that stuff. And even today, the air conditioning wasn't as good as we would like it to be. But we're here. We've come together with one goal, and that is to lift up Jesus Christ. We've come here to praise him, to worship him. We've come here because he said we shouldn't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's the putting together of the people of God. And you all know this, that we don't go to church. We are the church. So whenever we leave this place, the church leaves. Wherever you go, you take the church. I'm telling you, when I look across this group of people, and I know a lot of people that are out of town in different places, when I look around, I see the diversity the uniqueness, the potential, all those things, I am just totally blessed. What God is doing here is really unique.
There's a lot of pe- reasons that people don't go to church. But I'm glad y'all didn't find those reasons that you came to church today. We're going to look at a house church. A house church. That's right, a house church. In the New Testament, it's really a cool story. And we're going to read it from the message today. It's in Acts chapter 20. So if y'all want to look in Acts chapter 20, actually this whole book was kind of prophesied over us uh, when we were ordained, when I was ordained. And this is going to be kind of a brief sermon because I think the, there's a huge blessing not only in this but in the baptisms that are going to take place. We're going to have musical baptisms. We've got four different people baptizing, five people. <laughs> Now, Luke wrote the book of Acts, okay? He was a, he was a, a companion to, to uh, Paul, and he was, he was instrumental in writing this book. Of course, the Holy Spirit inspired him to write it. But I kind of looked at it today as, as from the message as uh, how it was almost like a reporter reporting the circumstances of this sermon, okay? And I'll, I'll see, you're, you're going to see here, this is not a perfect house church. Matter of fact, it probably wouldn't go over too well today. We're going to read from verse 7. You ready? We met on Sunday to worship and celebrate the Master's Supper. We've already celebrated that today. Paul addressed the congregation. Our plan was to leave first thing in the morning, but Paul talked on way past midnight. Say midnight. (laughs) You talk about a long-winded sermon, a preacher... (laughs) Okay, we were meeting in a well-lighted upper room and a young man named Eutychus, say Eutychus. Eutychus. Say it better than that, Eutychus. Eutychus. Okay. Yes, I was going to say Eutychus. Eutychus. (laughs) A young man named Eutychus was sitting in an open window. As Paul went on and on, Eutychus fell sound asleep. Nudge your neighbor and say, please don't go to sleep today. Now, the farthest you can fall is out of your chair. The Eutychus fell three stories. Thud. He toppled out of the third story window, and when they picked him up, he was dead. Say dead. dead. Okay. So please don't fall out of your chair this morning. People will rush to you and see what's wrong with you. This is kind of cool because it's the first time that's mentioned that the church met on Sunday to worship. Now, as you read commentaries, you, f- you understand that they probably met on Sunday night. You know why? Because they worked on Sunday. The Sabbath was Saturday. And we did that for a long time at Christian Church of San Angelo. Probably three years out of our 10 years, we met on Sunday nights because of the use of the building on the, the morning time. So we kind of know, but I never did preach past midnight. Uh, but this is a first example of, of the church meeting on a Sunday because of the, of the work day. But Paul addressed the congregation. He said, our, our plan was to leave first thing in the morning, but Paul talked on way past midnight. Paul had this, this encounter with this group of people, and he was about to leave and maybe never see them again. So what I believe Paul was doing, he, he was pouring out everything he could in this multiple-hour sermon. He was teaching them. Boy, he was just pouring into them. Everything God was pouring into him, he was pouring it out to them. And it was going on and on and on. There, here we've got this, this young man sitting on a, on a windowsill, 
so to speak, as an open window. And I, they probably had these lamps going with the fumes going. And, and I don't know, Paul said he wasn't an eloquent speaker. Maybe he was kind of monotone. I don't know how Paul preached. But anyway, this guy, it, he fell asleep during the sermon. You know, I can understand you falling asleep when I preach, but with the apostle Paul preaching, you would fall asleep. But this guy, man, he just gave it up. He says, I can't do this anymore. How many of you have ever been in that place where you, 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 you want to go to sleep, but you know you can't? Isn't it a miserable feeling? Yes. You're just like, <sighs> you, you, you want, like when you're driving a car. <laughs> That's a good time not to fall asleep. You, you chew gum, you turn the radio on, you roll the window down, you stick your head out like a dog. You do whatever, slap yourself. Anybody ever slapped yourself while you drive? Oh, yeah. Slap yourself. <laughs> There's a lot of people in here that slap themselves. <laughs> oh, yeah, I thought I was the only one. Hmm. But Paul, who did that yawn just then? Is that Blenda? She just yawned right on cue. <sighs> You know when you yawn, it makes other people yawn? Isn't that a weird phenomenon? Let's move on. Okay. Now, when I see this, I I try to see what God's showing me in in one story uh, when I'm preparing your sermon. And I've actually, I did a devotional on this one time way back, but it's kind of different now. It's always things change as as we grow and God reveals different things to us. But this young man on the windowsill could represent a lot of people. And that's what I want to look at real quickly. He could represent those who are on the outside looking in. Okay, there's a lot of people that just think church, they they just kind of peek in. They're not sure about church. They're not sure about Jesus. They're not sure about their walk. They're not sure about giving their life to Christ. So they're kind of on the outside looking in. That's A lot of people are like that. Some of us, this could represent people that are just dead in their sins. You know, the Bible says if when we are without Christ that we are dead in our sins. We're dead men walking. Uh, we don't know Christ, so even, even though uh, we may appear to be alive, our, our, our soulish realm, our spirit is dead because Christ has not entered into it. That might be some of you this morning. You might not think there's any life in you. You may be here this morning, you think nobody loves you. Look at your neighbor and say, God loves you. Come on, so. Okay, you're loved. This is kind of a staggering thought, too. There are some of you in here that have probably contemplated suicide. Some of you in here maybe have attempted suicide. You maybe feel like there's just no life in you. I want to tell you that God's got a different plan for you. Before this sermon's over, you're going to understand that there is life to be had in Jesus Christ. This man might represent the church, those in the church that have fallen asleep. They need to wake up. You know, you, you're just stagnant in your walk. You say, you, I just can't hear from God. God, just reveal yourself to me. And you're just, you just feel like you're just not going anywhere. You ever feel that way? Listen, if you pray for God to wake you up, I'm telling you, that's, there might be some things happen in your life that will test you so you'll know you're awake. Okay? Be careful what you pray for. It could be that this young man represents someone whose dreams have been killed. You know what? We've talked about that before. Dream snatchers, dream killers. Maybe you're here this morning. God gave you a dream and somebody else put an end to it, stopped it, or tried to. There's life in you. 
this morning. You may be here this morning and this, this man could represent somebody who's had a moral failure. You feel like the church has abandoned you and that God has abandoned you. But that's why I love this church so much. Because if you've come in here that way this morning, you don't have to leave that way. You've got people all around you that care about you, that love you. You do. More than that, you have a God that loves you. And probably set you down beside somebody that you needed to be sitting by today. Thank you, Thabiti. I love that guy. Pastor Harold. Okay. This is what Paul did. And this is so cool. Verse 10. Paul went down. Remember, he's preaching. He's in the middle of his sermon. I think one time I was preaching to Woodman of the World when we had an ambulance come because the guy had, a, he had he's alcohol poisoned. Yeah, yeah. This guy, Paul's preaching, and this guy falls out the window, three stories down, thud, and he's dead. Paul went down. He stretched himself on him. He hugged him hard. He said, no more crying. He said, there's life in him yet. Would y'all say that with me? There is life in him yet. Okay? Turn to your neighbor and say, there's life in you. Amen? There's life in you. Wake up, church. Okay, listen. It gets good. It gets better. What was Paul doing when the young man fell out the window? Preaching. Listen, guys. What happened when he fell? What did Paul do? He stopped preaching. Sometimes we need to stop preaching and start doing. Some of us, you might have been preaching to your kids this morning on the way to church. You might be preaching to somebody sometime, all the time. You're just, you preach, 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 preach. I just don't know when they're going to get it. Maybe it's time to quit preaching and start doing Maybe it's, start, it's time to start loving on people and start hugging them and saying, listen, I don't know what's going on in your life, but there's life in you yet. There's life in you. I'm, I'm amazed. The greatest preacher of all time, he stops to go check on a guy who's fallen out of a window. Isn't that, that's kind of funny. It's kind of amusing. Let me tell you what Paul was willing to do. And this is what we've got to be willing to do as a church. We've got to be willing to humble or humble ourselves and take a risk. He, he, well, I will stop briefly with some of you deacons. Go and check on the young man that fell down. Please tell him not to interrupt me anymore. No, Paul. Paul said, I'm out of here. Three flights of stairs. I bet he flew. I mean, he might might have been transported. (laughs) Everybody else says, hey, he's dead. See, that's what we do. We we look around, so they're dead. There's no hope for them. My neighbor, there's no hope for him. He's eaten up with cancer. He's lived a horrible life of all the wrong stuff. There's just no life in him. There's no use. And we, we make those declarations over people. Listen, our words are so important. They're, they're so important. 
Listen, he actually stretched himself out. That just kind of weird. He just laid down on top of the guy and just hugged the guy. He was willing to risk humiliation. He was willing to risk humiliation. The great apostle Paul, preacher Paul, who had done all these marvelous things for God, he's laying down on a boy. Then y'all, they've already said he's dead. Can you imagine some of the naysayers, some of the people there? Paul, he's dead. He's dead, Paul. Leave him alone. We'll take care of him. Go back and preach. Paul said, no, 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 no. There's life in him yet. There's life in him. Some of you know that there's, there's some things that you've called dead that God says they're not dead yet. Some relationships you might think are dead. God said, no, there's life there yet. There's maybe some unforgiveness in your life and you've, you've held, a, held a grudge against somebody and you've just declared that whole situation dead and God said, no, there's life there. There's life. Wake up. You might have to quit preaching. You might have to get off your righteous, your self-righteous high horse and go and humble yourself and say, would you forgive me? Would you forgive me for making judgments against you? Would you forgive me for saying those things or gossiping about you? Would you forgive me? Listen, we've got to come to the place where we're willing to humble ourselves and risk humiliation, risk even them saying, no, I don't forgive you. Hmm. You know, we like that romantic side of the forgiveness issue. Oh, please forgive me. I know. Oh, I forgive you. I'm so, oh, no, some people don't forgive. But you've got to declare there's still life here. There's still life. Paul opened his mouth and he spoke life. Proverbs 18.21 in the New King James says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. But look what it says in the message. Words kill. Words kill. Words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You take, You choose. I don't think we talk about it enough. I I try to inject that almost in every sermon about the power of our words. What are you speaking over your finances? What are you speaking over your marriage? What are you speaking over your children? What are you speaking over your, your job situation? What are you speaking over your health? Are you speaking words of life? Are you speaking words of death? It's your choice. Is there someone you've given up on? Then speak life to them. I meant to start out by speaking or having all of us stand and speak. Hey, we can do it anyway. Stand up, please. John 10, 10. I know I'm way out of place there, Brendan. Can you find it? Ah, good guy. Let's speak this out loud. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Say abundantly. Abundantly. That's the life that Christ has for you. Amen? Praise God. Y'all may be seated. That's you. Our daughter thought that was a word, bless you, when she was little, bless you. It's funny what we think in ki- and when we're children, some of the words that we've already figured out, 
It's not what they are. Jesus came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. That, that means more extravagantly. That means over the top. That means more than we can ask or imagine. Are y'all living that? Are y'all really living the abundant life? Man, if you're not, you're missing something. And maybe you're not speaking life into your situations. Listen, I want, I want to read a few scriptures and I'm about to close. And we're about to baptize. Uh, John 6, 68. We're talking about life here this morning. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Listen, that should be your cry this morning. Where else can we go? Lord, you have the words of eternal life. John 8, 12. Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. That's our life, people. John 11, 25. Jesus said to Mary, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me. Though he may die, yet shall he live. David McDermott lives today. My neighbor lives today because he received Christ. He prayed to receive. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you've not come to Jesus, you haven't come to full life yet. It's that simple. God made it very simple. Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now look at the testimony. Go back to Acts 20. And Paul got up. Yeah, not a big deal. Just raised a young kid from the dead. <laughs> he got up and he served the Master's Supper. Preacher. Restorer of life, and he's going to serve serve the Lord's Supper. Look what he did. And he went on telling stories of the faith until dawn or daybreak. He went on telling stories about faith until dawn. So in my estimation, he preached for probably 12 hours. So it's a test today. After the baptisms, we're just going to stay here, and I'm going to preach <laughs> 10 p.m. tonight. How about that? We'll just cut you some slack. <laughs> Kitty said, well, you'll have to raise somebody from the dead. <laughs> now, look at the testimony. He got up. He served the supper, Lord's Supper. Went on telling stories of the faith until dawn. And on that note, they left. Paul going one way, the congregation another, leading the boy off alive and full of life themselves. Listen, somebody gets raised from the dead, that will fill you with some life. Every time somebody comes to Jesus and gives their life to him, they've been raised from the dead. That should give us life. That's what we're called to do this morning as a church. We are called to preach the word. We are called to go and do. We are called to humble ourselves. We're called to believe in the impossible because we have a God that does the impossible. We are called 
to stretch our faith as Paul stretched out on that young man. God wants to stretch our faith this morning. We are called to speak life all the time. That's what we're called to do.